Well, good morning once again. If you would uh, take out your Bibles this morning and return with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Our text for this morning will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Trust that you had a time to read that this week and in preparation for the service, but uh, we'll go there in just a moment. I keep getting news, keep getting news that our nefarious actor is sending out emails in my name, and so you may still be getting those. I'm not Pastor Mark IBC Saginaw at gmail.com. That's not me, but someone has stolen my name and the church name and created a bogus account, and they're emailing you, and uh, they're requesting for a favor, and if you reply to that, the favor they're asking for is for gift cards, and uh, so just know, and it's not me, I won't request a favor from you via email, and I certainly won't be requesting gift cards from you. And uh, so anyway, shut that down. We're doing our best. It is a bogus account, and so it's difficult for us to shut that down, um, communicating to Gmail that it's a, a bogus actor uh, on my behalf. But we're, we're doing what we can, and uh, I just want you to be vigilant during this season that it's not me emailing you looking for gift cards. And uh, anyways, chapter 4 is where we are this morning, Second Corinthians chapter 4. We are week 7 into this series of messages through the book of Second Corinthians, at my uh, usual pace of biblical exposition, we'd be almost already done with the book. But uh, we're moving rather slowly. We're only, uh, we'd, we'd be halfway through the book at my usual pace. We're now about a quarter of the way into the book. And uh, so we're crawling through. Some of you are really appreciating the, the cadence that we're having and the pace that we're setting. Some of you are chomping at the bit, maybe a bit like myself. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue making our way through this letter and trust that we'll benefit from it together. Let me have a, a quick word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our, our message this morning. But let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a, always a delight to come to you in prayer, recognizing that we have access to you through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one who has successful, the one who is victorious, the one who took on sin and death in his own body on the cross and was uh, uh, victorious in that. And uh, you were satisfied with his payment, and you raised him from the dead. We rejoice in Jesus Christ, uh, the Savior who was promised, the Savior who came, and the Savior who is coming again. And I pray that you continue to use your word in the lives of us, your people, as we uh, uh, are being prepared to rule and reign with Christ forever. And so, Father, use your word even in our lives this morning to continue to, to renew our thoughts and tr change our lives in ways that are just um, beneficial and uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you are engaged in a conversation with someone and you reach a point in the conversation where the person you're talking to says, therefore, uh, you know that um, in the conversation they've reached a point where they are responding to something they've already said. So they've been communicating along, therefore, there's a response that's made, or they're making a summary statement conclusion to what they have been saying. Well, in chapter 4, verse 1, it begins with the word, therefore. Therefore. What has Paul been talking about? Or for us, what has Paul been writing about that now has him making this therefore response? Well, looking back at the preceding paragraphs where we were last week, we notice that Paul, in his letter, has been defending the superiority of his ministry. He would claim that his ministry is superior to the ministry of Moses. Now, that's saying something, because Moses is a mighty prophet of global fame. The Apostle Paul is a bivocational missionary. He's a part-time tent maker. 
Uh, he, you know, he's, he's a missionary that, that travels throughout Asia and, uh, you know, t- Turkey and in Europe, uh, Greece and Italy. And here he has been proclaiming that his ministry is a superior ministry. And the superiority of his ministry isn't based on his own superiority as a person because he has openly declared his inadequacy in chapter 3, verse 5. He is, he's insufficient for the task that he's been called to. But God has made him sufficient as a minister of the new covenant. So Paul has been defending the superiority of the ministry that he is engaged in, but it's not based on his own superiority, but the superiority of the new covenant of which Paul and the Corinthians are beneficiaries of. And if you look back at the preceding paragraphs, Paul gives us a contrasting glory between the glory of the old covenant and the glory of the new covenant. The old covenant was glorious. It was good. It was glorious. It was given to Moses on the mountain where God came down in a flame of fire. It's not as though the old covenant is bad, the new covenant is good. No, the old covenant was glorious. But the new covenant is even more glorious. It is a superior glory. And so he runs through this list, and we looked at it last week. I'll go through it quickly with you. The old covenant, Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. That immediately speaks volumes. Moses was a mighty prophet. Jesus is more than a prophet. He is none other than God in the flesh, God himself. Uh, We talked about last week the fact that the old covenant wasn't a way of salvation. It wasn't the promised rescue that was promised in the garden. The old covenant, which came with laws and commandments and a religious system and the tabernacle and the priesthood and sacrifices and holidays, the old covenant was to mark off God's people as a peculiar people among the nations as they awaited for the promised Savior to come into the world through them. God had made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, and and the Savior, the rescuer over sin and death, was to come into the world through their people. And the old covenant was to mark them off as a unique, peculiar people among the nations as they awaited that Savior to come. Now, this is really important. I didn't say this last week, but I'll say it this morning. Israel does not have a unique path of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Israel does not have a unique path of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. So I, I have people today saying, hey, we need, to, we need to pray for Israel. We do need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for the peace of Israel. Tell me, what is the peace of Israel? Jesus is the peace of Israel. And so we pray for the peace of Israel. We pray that the Israelites would come to the knowledge of the truth and embrace Jesus Christ as their God-provided Messiah and Savior, who through them is the Savior of the world. And so if we're going to pray for the peace of Israel, we ought to pray the same for the Palestinians and the Ukrainians and the Russians and whoever else. That they would come to the understanding that through Jesus Christ, God has provided a new covenant, and there's a Savior, and His name is Jesus. So again, contrasting this, you have an old covenant that was mediated by Moses, you have a new covenant mediated by Jesus. Uh, he would go on to say, and these are quotes right out of the text, uh, the letter kills, the spirit gives life. Words carved on tablets of stone, the old law, didn't transform anything or anyone. But the spirit of God makes that which is dead alive. Uh, the old covenant was called a ministry of death or a ministry of condemnation. Uh, As I said last week, the old covenant, uh, it wasn't a washcloth that washed away our sins. No, it was a mirror. And the old covenant reveals to us our sinfulness. It condemns us as sinners, as guilty, and it points us to Jesus the Savior. 
But the old covenant was powerless to defeat death and usher in eternal life. On contrast, the new covenant is a ministry of life and a ministry of righteousness. Jesus himself proclaimed that he came into the world that we might have life and have life to the full, abundant and free and eternal life. And we know that Jesus gave up his life for our sin so that through faith in him we might have life. We might have forgiveness and credited righteousness and his victory of eternal life. The old covenant, as we were considering again last week, it once had glory. The new covenant has a surpassing glory. The old covenant was glorious. It revealed God's moral nature and God's good designs for his people. The new covenant has a surpassing glory, as I said last week, like a candle compared to the sun. A candle and the sun both give light, but there's no real comparison. The old covenant was brought to an end. The new covenant is permanent. In the old covenant, Moses veiled his face before the people. As he stood before God, he, he, he was luminous, but when he came down to speak to the people, he would veil his face because the glory wasn't permanent. It would fade away. Jesus, on the other hand, is the unveiled glory of God, and his glory is undiminished, untarnished, and it's never-ending. And matter of fact, according to Jesus, the goal of our salvation is that we might see his glory that we might see his glory and live and then share in his glory forever. Paul provides two additional words for the glory of the new covenant. The word is freedom and the word is transformation. We see this in chapter 3, verse 17. If you want to look back there, it says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So freedom and transformation. The people who hear the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ, of his sacrifice for sin on the cross and his victory through his powerful resurrection, and those people who hear the good news of Jesus and believe the message and place their faith in Jesus, they are set free, set free from the condemnation of the law. They are set free from death. And they're brought into the liberty and new life that is in conjunction with Jesus. So people who are by grace through faith, they're free, they are transformed. They have been transformed and they are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit who works in them, who has brought them to the knowledge of the truth and the trustworthiness of the message. So Paul is making this defense of the superiority of his ministry because he's a minister of the new covenant. He's a minister proclaiming the good news of the glory of Christ, which frees people and transforms people, bringing them from death to life. This is the superiority that Paul has been speaking of. Not his own superiority in his own person, but the fact that he has been a minister of the new covenant, that's where that superiority comes from. Therefore, now we're finally into our text. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, this new covenant ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We're not giving up on this. You know, when you think through Paul's testimony, the one who's writing this letter, Paul was once a terrorist. Paul was against God. Paul was against God's people. Paul once had a life mission. You know, here at this church, we have a mission, right? What's our mission? Our purpose and our passion is to bring God pleasure by believing His Word and doing His will and the power that He provides us for the praise of His glory. Paul once had a life mission. What was his life mission? To stamp out the church. 
and to kill people or eliminate people who are professing faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul was introduced to Jesus in quite a profound and glorious way, in a way that none of us have been introduced to Jesus. I mean, he, he's, he's on the road to Damascus with letters from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He's on the road to Damascus to arrest and persecute Christians. And Jesus shows up. And Paul sees the glory. The glory of Jesus Christ. And he's powerfully converted. And I, I think about this and I'm like, man, God loves to do this kind of thing. God loves to take the worst kind of people I mean, Paul's the worst kind of person. He's a terrorist. He's a persecutor. He's against God. God loves to take the worst kind of people and the most ill-equipped kind of people and put them forward in ministry so that everyone goes, I can't believe that clay pot is entrusted with such treasure. This superior ministry that Paul was given, as he says here, it is pure privilege it's by the mercy of God. He didn't earn it. He didn't achieve it. He didn't throw a shoulder into that door of ministry and enter that way. No, it was, it was mercy, by the mercy of God. And because the ministry is from God, and it's about God, and accomplished by God, Paul says, as a minister of the new covenant, he has confidence, chapter 3, verse 4. He has been made sufficient, chapter 3, verse 5. He has hope, chapter 3, verse 12. He has boldness, chapter 3, verse 12. He has freedom, chapter 3, verse 17. And in this chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, he has perseverance. He's not giving up on this ministry. This ministry of the new covenant is not disheartening, and Paul is not giving up on it. Remarkable. Even when he would have all reason to do so. He's writing to the Corinthian church and there are people within that church who are seeking to discredit his ministry and throw him under the bus and question his motives. And it would be really easy for Paul to be like, I'm done with you all. I'm finished. But Paul's saying, no way. I have this ministry. It's the ministry of the new covenant. I came into this ministry by God's mercy, and it is powerful and effective, not because I'm powerful and effective, but the message is powerful and effective. Therefore, I'm not giving up on this. Not quitting. Well, let's, let's read verses 1 through 6, this whole paragraph, and then we'll press into what Paul is saying in this therefore response to what he, has, what he has already said. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, let's read it. Therefore, having this ministry, this new covenant ministry, by the mercy of God, pure privilege, we do not lose heart, we persevere. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel, even if our good news is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake." For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God bless the reading of his word this morning. As Paul is defending the superiority of the ministry that he is engaged in, this ministry of the new covenant, he, he gives us four things that come right out of the text that I want to point out to you this morning, and it'll serve as our message today. 
The first thing he says about the superiority of the ministry of the new covenant, he says the platform of the ministry is mercy. The platform is mercy. We've already covered this in verse one, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here. Paul has this ministry that he does by the mercy of God. Again, he didn't come into this ministry and the fact that he had earned it or merited it or achieved it, it was a pure privilege of being joined to Jesus Christ and then having been joined to Jesus Christ, serving, G, serving others in Jesus' stead. So Paul didn't push his way into this ministry. God brought him in. He's not into the ministry for notoriety or fame or recognition or leadership status. He gets to serve others, and he gets to serve others for Jesus' sake. And then he gets to watch the privilege of God through him shining the light into darkness and bringing people from death to life. And so the platform of this is mercy. Secondly, the performance of the ministry, this new covenant ministry, is humility and integrity. Because Paul is in the ministry by the mercy of God, that eradicates any personal pride. That also eradicates all personality posturing. He's not a cult leader getting people to line up behind him. He's not seeking to secure and establish his own following. If you went into the church in Corinth, they wouldn't have a big billboard with Paul's face on it. Right? No. No, he's in this ministry by the mercy of God that eradicates pride, and because the ministry is from God and by God and about God, the ministry is to be performed with God-centered integrity. It's all about God. So here, Paul, in verse 2 and forward, Paul refuses to be dishonest or shady. He refused to be underhanded. As a minister of the new covenant, that's not the game he's going to play. It is trickery. Uh, Paul refuses to trick people to gain favor. He's not cunning. Uh, he, he refuses to tamper with the word of God, using it toward ends that it was never intended to be used. Now, there's a million examples of this. Let me just give you a, a, an old one. Uh, back during the Civil War in this country, the preachers in the South used to use the word of God to justify their cause and mobilize people into the effort in the war against the North. And the preachers in the north used the word of God to justify their cause and mobilize people into the effort against the war in the south. Fascinating. Fascinating. They somehow found a biblical text, an ancient biblical text, to justify slaughtering one another in 1800s America. Isn't that remarkable? We're for states' rights and we're against slavery. Therefore, let's go to war against one another and kill one another. And we're going to justify our actions using the Word of God. That happens all of the time. It happened then. It happens today. All sorts of things have been justified using the Word of God throughout the course of human history. And it's not of Christ at all. And Paul's like, I'm not into that game. I don't go to Rome and say, hey, I got a biblical text here that say we ought to band together and throw off Nero because he's an evil guy. Not doing that, not playing that game. We learn from this and from many other examples that God's word is often used to advance agendas that are far removed 
from what God's word is actually intended for. The word of God shines light into darkness. The word of God reveals God. The word of God glorifies Jesus Christ. The word of God is empowered by God's spirit. The word of God is to bring people to faith in God, bringing people from death to life. It is to prepare people to live and reign with Jesus Christ forever. And Paul says, I refuse to play games with God's word to advance some personal or worldly agenda that is not in line with what God is actually doing. Paul says, I'm a minister of the new covenant. It's mercy to me. And it's also a powerful ministry that I'm ill-equipped for. It's a, it's a ministry that is beyond me. The power comes from the word and, and, and I'm not gonna manipulate people. No, he actually says, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, he says, as a minister of the new covenant, we speak the truth about God, we speak the truth before God, and we're honest with everyone, and honest people know this. We're not about advancing our own agendas here. So the platform is mercy, the performance is humility and integrity, God-centered integrity, and the power of the new covenant message is the message. You think this through. Paul can't turn people from darkness to light. Paul can't make dead hearts come alive to God. But the Word of God can. And the Word of God does. And that's all Paul has. He's got a message. He's got a message from God about God concerning Jesus Christ. It's a good news message. And the ministry of the new covenant is powerful because the message of the new covenant is powerful. The message itself is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The message that Paul has, the message that we have, it is from God, it is concerning Jesus. It is powerful to convict people of their sinfulness and their separation from God and convince them that they need a Savior and then point them to the light of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is their God-provided Savior. And again, Paul is insufficient for this, but God's Word is totally sufficient. And Paul's ministry, he's an ambassador, he's a messenger. He's a minister of the new covenant. And Paul serves people by communicating a message. Now the question can be asked, what about those who don't believe? What about those who don't believe the message? Not everyone believes. Paul came to the city of Corinth with a message. He started proclaiming that message in the synagogue among the Jews. Some of the Jews believed, some of the Jews did not believe, and they became hot about it, and they, they threw them out. And so Paul moves next door and plants a church, and there's Jews and Gentiles that are meeting there. Maybe 100 people in a city of 100,000 people? <laughs> Clearly not everyone believes. So Paul has this message. What, what, what about those who don't believe? Well, he tells us here in the text, if people don't believe, it's because the gospel is veiled. That's what he says. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. If people don't believe, it's because the gospel is veiled. He goes on to say, the God of this world, small g, God of this world, the evil imposter who deceived mankind at the start is blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them in darkness. A spiritual battle involved in this. God is working. Satan is working against it. Satan is keeping a veil over people's hearts so that they might not respond to the gospel. Well, what can we do about that? 
What can we do? Well, we can communicate the message. We can communicate the message of God's mercy. We can communicate the message with integrity and humility. The message is powerful. The message is powerful. Well, what's the message? The proclamation is Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul says here in chapter 4, verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So the ministers of the new covenant, they don't preach themselves, they preach Jesus Christ. So what that means is the ministers of the new covenant don't come along and they don't make people think they are awesome and Jesus is awesome too. You can't do that. I can't come and somehow make you think that I'm really cool and Jesus is cool too. No, no, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, what's the message of the new covenant? Jesus is God, mightier than Moses. Moses was a prophet. But Jesus is God, and he's from God, and he's the way to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus' blood, unlike the blood of bulls and goats and calves and lambs, Jesus' blood is the blood of the new covenant, and through trusting in Jesus Christ, his blood is applied to our ledger, our sins are forgiven, and Christ's righteousness is credited to us. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we're brought into a right relationship with God. Jesus is mankind's only eternal hope. He's the promised rescuer. There's no other one, for there's no other name under heaven, given among men, by which they must be saved. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the light of the world. And when God speaks and says, light shine out of darkness, and the light shines, and when God shines the light into darkness to give the light of the knowledge of himself in the, glory, in the face of Jesus, when that light shines and the glory is revealed and the veil is lifted, and people apprehend the glory from the message that is powerful, and they understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they gladly come under his authority, they trust in him, well, then glory to God. Hallelujah, because they didn't arrive in that knowledge on their own. God has shown a light into their hearts that they might apprehend the glory of Jesus Christ. The message of the new covenant is from God, about God, concerning Jesus, and the message is delivered by human agents. It's delivered by insufficient people, inadequate people, people like Paul, people like you and me. The power of this new covenant ministry is the power of the message, and the message is Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, I, uh, I never thought this uh, sermon series through 2 Corinthians was going to be so Christmassy. Uh, we started this sermon series seven weeks ago, and uh, we get into it, and I'm like, well, this is going to be an interesting series. Because the majority of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the second letter, the, the, the bulk of it is Paul defending his ministry. And then the latter part of the ministry, we get into, you know, the collection for the church in Jerusalem and some other topics are brought up. But the, the, bulk, of this, the bulk of this letter is Paul defending his ministry. And now as I'm reading through it, I'm like, even as Paul seeks to defend his ministry, he can't help but proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and pointing people to him. That's remarkable. This is a very Christmassy series. Although it's not going to last through Christmas. 
Next week, we're going to finish the, the, the bulk of chapter, the rest of chapter four. And the following week is Christmas Eve, and the following week is New Year's Eve, and we'll take a little break. And we'll circle back and pick back up in January in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But anyways, this is the message for this morning. Let me go back a slide. Uh, the ministry of the new covenant. That's a superior ministry. Uh, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The platform is mercy. The performance is humility and integrity. The power is the message. And the proclamation is Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, yesterday I had a... I had a um, Involvement in the uh, memorial service for my father. Um, exhausting day. I'm ready for a nap. Um, but it was fascinating to, to re- reflect back on my father's life. And, and when you go through that, you, you come to the realization that um, my, my father was um, brought up out of Detroit as an adolescent by his parents because he was running into trouble with the law, um, running with the wrong crowd, shoplifting vandalism, destruction of property. His, uh, his parents had no idea what to do because uh, they were not a Christian family. They're not a church family, had no, not, not religious or anything. And they, the only thought they could have is like, I got, I got to get, I got to get my son out of the city. The city's going to destroy my, my son. And so they, they moved from uh, River Rouge, Southeast Detroit to Mayville, Michigan. That's a, that's a colossal move right there. And they, they moved, uh, my, my, my grandfather was an uh, overhead crane operator, and, and his wife was a, uh, an assembly line worker at Ford Motor Company, and so dual income. And they moved to Mayville to a house that didn't even have indoor plumbing. But my dad is enrolled in the Mayville Public Schools, and um, he comes home one day because the Gideons had passed out New Testament Bibles to all the students. And instead of throwing it out, you know, he actually kept his. And he brought it home, and uh, he tossed it on the kitchen table. And his dad, uh, Marshall Hazen, picked that up and stuck it in his pocket and began reading it. He continued his career as an overhead crane operator. He began reading through the New Testament uh, in, a, in, a, in a little cab 50 feet above the ground as an overhead crane operator. And he's reading through the New Testament on his brakes. I find that absolutely fascinating. Fascinating he would read it. Fascinating he understood what he was reading about. I mean, if you pull out your Bible, I only have the, you know, the book of 2 Corinthians here before me, but if you pull out your entire Bible, the New Testament is like the last third of the book. Have you ever watched a movie and you're watching a movie and you're getting two-thirds of the way through and someone comes along and sits down next to you and they're like, who's that? Why are they saying that? What's going on? And you're like, get out of here. You're annoying me to pieces. Watch it from the start. It didn't make any sense out of this. My grandfather picks up a, a New Testament. Are you getting a New Testament? He's reading, he reads Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The account of Jesus' life and ministry and self-sacrifice and salvation provided through his death and resurrection. He reads through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of Jesus' life from four different authors, four different perspectives, Four different audiences that it was written to. He reads the Acts, the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church, and then he begins to read Romans, Paul's message that he proclaims everywhere he goes. He's like, this is what I preach everywhere I go. This is the message. If you want it concise, Romans is your book. And so my grandfather's reading Romans, and he gets to Romans chapter 10, convicted of his sin, convinced Jesus is his hope and savior. 
He doesn't walk in the aisle. He doesn't pray some mantra prayer. He just transfers his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Changed. Because the light shone into an overhead crane cab and opened the eyes of an unbeliever to become a believer, to see his need of a Savior and to be convinced that Jesus is a Savior, and he's gloriously saved. Begins to take his family to church, Rich Bible Church over in Mayville, and his wife gets saved, and my dad gets saved, and a wake of grace flows from that. And you look at that, and you're like, that's just, that's just glorious. That's remarkable. That's how God works. And so Paul says, I've got a superior ministry here. It's not based on me. I'm not superior. I'm inadequate for this. But the ministry is powerful because the message is powerful. It's from God. It's concerning Jesus Christ. It's, it's concerning mankind's salvation and all that God has done. This is glorious. It's way more glorious than Moses. It's fantastic. All that wasn't in my notes. You just got it for free, extra. <laughs> bonus, bonus rounds. Let, uh, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us through Jesus Christ. You promised us a Savior, and you provided us a Savior, and that Savior is the only Savior, and he is a full and sufficient Savior, and all of our sin he has borne away, and through Jesus Christ we experience forgiveness and new life and eternal life and hope and the hope of seeing him and seeing him in his glory and sharing in that forever. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that through him we are accepted. What a powerful message. We thank you that you have given us Christ. We thank you that you've given us your word. Bless and encourage us as your people and build us up in faith as we await the return of Jesus Christ and the consummation of our salvation and all the glory that awaits. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.